I heard you say a couple of things today on the show. I heard you say, you know, when you invest, you have to believe in your thoughts. Uh, I like this idea of the three E's, ethics, energy, experience. And three is a magical number, but two and a half is, is good enough. Um, this idea of leaders feed everybody a part of the cake, I, I really like. Um, this idea about being intentional, Mm. about mentorship, methodical, systematic. Uh, and the last thing I'm really taking away is, you know, be an optimist in the long term, but be flexible mm. uh, in the short term. Great. Thanks for joining another episode of Talks with T. I'm truly humbled to have uh, Aymad Randur from Cedar Bridge uh, joining us today. For those who don't know uh, about Cedar Bridge, can you just provide a brief introduction? Yeah, thanks, Tarek, first of all, uh, for this early morning podcast <laughs> <laughs> uh, on a rainy day. But uh, Cedar Bridge has been set up now for a good 12 years. Mm. Um, and initially, we, uh, we started as a growth capital, yeah. uh, a small buyout uh, firm in 2011 raised a very small um, fund and there was a story behind it. I am happy to share it uh, uh, later. W- but we love stories <laughs> on this show. So, so, so I'll, I'll tell you the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you the short version. So um, prior to that, I was working for Gulf Capital yeah. and uh, me and my partner uh, decided that there is an opportunity. Gulf Capital like invests $50 million, $100 yeah. million in ticket. Yeah. So we, we, we were more keen to in invest in smaller businesses and really, uh, you know, roll our sleeves and, you know, grow them up and yeah. help them to grow. And we thought nobody is touching that space mm-hmm. where you invest five, 10, 15 million dollars and grow these brands to become more regional, more international. So to cut a long story short, we we told uh, Karim uh, Salah, who was a friend and also, yeah. I mean, the CEO of uh, that we're departing amicable terms. We're not going to compete. And uh, we shook hands and uh, we left set up Cedar Bridge. Yeah. And at that time, there was a fund of fund uh, based out of the UK and they were uh, very keen to invest in the Middle East. That's 2010. Yeah. Uh, and they, they, they wrote us a $50 million check, you know, on the get go, you know, take 50 million, raise another 50 million, have your small, uh, you know, fund of 100 million. And uh, and uh, we decided then to base it in uh, Cairo because Cairo was booming in 2010 and prior to that. Interesting. Uh, even uh, identified the location. Uh, we we're about to sign the lease on the 1st of February 2011 sitting on my TV <laughs> in Dubai, you know, at, uh, around at when was it? 25th of January, 2011. Yeah. And there were few demonstrations in Tahrir Square. <laughs> okay, I said, you know, the police will crush them. You know. 26th uh, January, it's growing. You know, 27, it's a uh, full-fledged, uh, you know, Arab Spring, uh, Arab Spring yeah. <laughs> rolling into Cairo. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that we know the history yeah. and, uh, you know, all this was scrapped. And then a few months later, our, uh, our this anchor LP came to us and said, you guys look at the whole 
Middle East is blowing up. Uh, take this settlement and, uh, you know, <laughs> bon chance. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so we went back to friends and family and uh, small investors that we know and uh, they trust us. And uh, we raised uh, a smaller, much smaller fund. And uh, that was fund one. And then we did well. And then there was fund two, uh, which followed the same strategy. And the strategy was quite creative, again, because of pure chance. So the first guy we went to, to from the friends and family, he said, I don't like PE because, you know, I put my money for 10 years. I don't see a dime. And we told him, we'll, we'll give you a quarterly dividend. Every You're going to get 5 to 10% every year, and it's going to be paid quarterly. And where we invest, we know that these businesses generate cash. cash flow. Yeah. So it's nurseries, beauty salons, uh, hospitals, and so on. So there is a lot of cash that comes out of these businesses. And uh, we, we created a strategy which we don't think exists anywhere in the world mm. called growth and distribution. So we grow these businesses, but we also pay dividends. Mm, very interesting. And we got stuck with that strategy for <laughs> the second <laughs> fund and now hopefully the third fund. Yeah. Uh, which we called growth, and we coined the term growth and <laughs> distribution strategy, and the Arabs love it. I mean, you know, yeah, in the sure. West, uh, you know, pension funds yeah, don't want their money don't want back. Their money. But here they want tawziat, you know, yeah. they want their dividends. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. People love it. Uh, even you'll be surprised. I go to like big family offices. We love your dividends. It's pay our salaries. <laughs> <you know? laughs> what gave you the, um, the conviction that there was this gap of smaller ticket size. Mm. Uh, it seems like it's more attractive to deploy bigger capital, have a bigger fund, bigger carry, right? And of so, course, so, yeah. so what gave you the conviction that there was something here? Look, I've been an entrepreneur. I started many businesses before some worked, some failed, some I sold. So, um, it is, it is uh, something you like, you know, when you like uh, to to work in a business and see it grow and, you know, you, you go to Saudi and then you go to London and, uh, you know, sometimes some of our businesses, say, are in boots, so I go into boots and see where they are on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> when you're running a hundred, two hundred billion dollar business, you know, you don't have that, uh, that uh, touch with reality. Mm, mm. <laughs> you're sitting on a board or a committee trying to figure out much bigger things, you mm. know, your debt to equity ratio or the, your big cash flow or... Uh, mm. This and that. Uh, so that's that's a personal preference. <coughs> if I'm not mistaken, you were a computer engineer by degree. Yeah. How did you navigate your world into the private equity private equity space, and even that, you know, at a very at a very early stage mm-hmm. of private equity? What was your journey into private equity? You mentioned you started a couple of companies. So, honestly, it's. Um, all unplanned and uh, <laughs> I started as a computer engineer when yeah. even I went to the US to yeah. study in Wisconsin yeah. I went to study MBA uh, in management information so MIS, MIS. Yeah. so and uh, you know I thought that's my track and then I said you know I don't want to be around you know geeks a lot I want also <laughs> to be like around business people making money so when I went back uh, to Beirut, I started doing consultancy work. So it shifted a little bit. And, um, and you know, it's, it's all 
common sense business uh, at the yeah. end of the day. And uh, as you consulted for businesses, you get to know most of the businesses we consulted for and the projects were investment projects, invest here, invest there, all over the yeah. world. So you, you kind of understand investment banking. And if you, I, I bought a, um, what is it? Um, um, McKinsey valuation. It's uh, a book. It's, it's a yeah, huge it's book. A fa- it's a fa- it's the famous. It's uh, a McKinsey famous standard. Book, yeah. So I I wrote I, I I read it you know cover to cover. Yeah. I understood what valuation is, and then I sat with lawyers. I understood what uh, you know share purchase agreement is and shareholder. And you teach yourself, and uh, this is how <laughs> I learned private equity. I mean. I'd, when 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 we started, uh, I mean, when private equity started in 2003, really in this region, mm. it was Abraj and at that time HSBC private equity, mm. and they both raised a hundred million dollar fund. Nobody knew what you know. They were, everybody was, was yeah. and uh, you know they were trying to uh, figure it out. Yeah. And you know how do you write this agreement, that agreement, you know, buy shares and. In, in <laughs> under the UAE company law or Saudi company law. Mm. So everybody was learning and I joined the bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> what companies stick out in your memory as being ones that were defined as a success, regardless of the financial outcome? Mm. Look, we proud ourselves that we've built some very nice regional or even global businesses. Uh, under Gulf Capital, one of the businesses uh, where I, I, I proud myself that I led mm. the investment, at least mm. the part uh, with the, a, a very nice management team was Metitu, which mm. did uh, water desalination. And it was already a, a quite, it's, uh, it went beyond the region. They had operation in Indonesia and um, in, in India. But I, I championed their entry into China. <laughs> Again, being tenacious and found the right acquisition target, bought it for them, and then bolted on to that. And China became one of their largest uh, operations, which eventually led to Gulf Capital exit uh, of their stake. They sold it to Mitsubishi, or the biggest chunk of it, they sold it mm. to Mitsubishi. Because Mitsubishi was interested in China and the Middle East, mm. but China was, you know, China is China. Yeah. So. And it was a great deal. They, you know, the company made a lot of money out of it. Uh, they became the third largest operator in China, and uh, you know, and the Middle East they were number one. So, yeah. uh, and then they went to other places as well. So mm-hmm. uh, that was uh, one very interesting example. Um, w- recently, under Fund One, uh, Cedar Bridge Fund One, we. Uh, we built the largest chain of nurseries, um, which we eventually sold to a French group, still growing and still number one. And, um, you know, I, I see that as a success. That, that, not that you sold it and, you know, bye-bye, I took my money, you know, the hello. To yeah. it, but it actually continued growing yeah. and uh, prospering. And, you know, you feel that you, you did something, especially in education and there are kids. For sure. and, you know, so yeah. there is there is that payback uh, that's not necessarily yeah. monetary. Yeah, kids first group is uh, actually a Bezat client. So, oh, really? uh, so <laughs> I, know, I know the team there. Yeah. Starting anything from scratch is difficult. Starting... Mm. Uh, Private equity fund twelve years ago, I'm assuming, was 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 equally, if not more, difficult. Uh, so I'd love to kind of hear uh, about the origin stories uh, of setting it up, what you learned along the way uh, mm. in the initial days. Look, um, the you know it was Arab Spring. Um, 
was um, financial crisis just a few years before that. Yeah. So. <laughs> Your timing was great. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the best timing to invest because everything was down. Mm. Investment valuations were down. And then there was a good run for four years. So mm. <laughs> uh, the fund wanted extremely well. But, you know, you have to believe in when you invest, you have to believe in your own thoughts. And I'll, I'll go to the Metito uh, uh, investment. Uh, when we invested, we bought this uh, company in China. You know, everybody thought, you know, this is like, it's not going to work. You mm. know, China is big. They're going to eat you. Capital controls, ta, ta, ta. Mm. You know, it was a slam dunk in my view uh, because the valuation, we bought it at rock bottom valuation because the seller was European. There were some issues they needed to sell and so on. So sometimes, you know, you just have, sometimes you have to listen and sometimes you just have to do what's in your, you know, in your mind. Uh, same like um, one of the first investments we did under Fund One was three days after the collapse of the Mubarak regime. So on 14th of February, I took a plane into Cairo. Everybody thought I'm stupid. Three days he went, he left the office. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we landed and negotiated one of the best deals as well into mm. a, another uh, educational group. Mm. Um, so you just have to be that, uh, you know, clear where is the value and do that. Uh, that, that that's one. But also another big thing is I, I, my co-founder is uh, Majel Makhlouf and he's a great support and um, all, all the team is a great support, but he's been with me the longest. Um, and, you know, sometimes I, I learned sometimes you, you try to be like, you know, I did this, you did that. And, you know, you try to measure whatever. But Sometimes even if somebody is contributing 10%, but his presence in your life and in your business actually makes that business grow even with, with, a, with a minimal contribution. And it applies also when you, know, you talk to companies you invest in. Of course, most of the burden day-to-day -day is carried by uh, the CEOs, the managers, you know, the founders, and so on. But the presence of the right investor, although they don't really put the hours, but their presence and one decision, you know, will, will actually save you a lot of money and will make you open your eyes to an opportunity which you never you know, thought will, or a contact will open the door which we'll never have. And of course, you put 99% of the hours, <laughs> but, but that has been a monumental shift. And it's first many examples. I mean, the dis early decisions we took or didn't take made that group successful. And, you know, since they're your clients, you know how successful they yeah. are. So, you know, we avoided a lot of disasters because collectively we're sitting on a table and making decisions. Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. so this idea of when you invest, you have to believe in your thoughts. How do you know if you're right or wrong? Look, it's. Uh, I, <laughs> I wish I have the answer. It's. Uh, <laughs> it's. You have to uh, remove your ego. You know, you don't want to do it because you're gonna grab the title and you know get your name in the papers. Um, and you have to be scientific, trying to be scientific. And then there is there is always a hunch, a, you know, a gut feel. But there should also be a number to support it. Um, it's it's an art. You know, investment till today is an art. 
um, it's, it's you know some people do it very well uh, some people do it uh, extremely well you know Warren Buffett and so on and it's an art it's it's never been a science uh, even if you go and study it here and there some MBAs and so on it's still an art mm. so there's a lot of methodologies around investment criteria investment methodologies so how do you create the balance between this mathematical scientific side of investing and the the art side look you have to do the science yeah you know just the art will probably lead you to take wrong decisions mm. eventually big wrong decisions mm. but uh, you, you have to combine the two and this is why eventually the outcome gets people the respect that when they say no or it's not going to work that they so if with your track record with time it, when you say no that people know that there is something that they outside they what they can understand and it, it's not going to work yeah. you know, sometimes it's just meeting the founder you say it's not going to work mm. you mm. know it's a very it's a very multi-dimensional decision that yeah. it's sometimes hard to articulate in mm. the right way and sometimes it's uh, it's when you try to add it up it doesn't add and you say it's too complex just mm. leave it mm-hmm. and what kind of approaches do you use to validate or try to before investing try to determine whether or not your thought process makes sense whether or not your hunch is in the right direction uh <coughs> We, we 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 there is a very standard frame and mm. it's now public everybody mm. uses it so mm. we follow that frame mm. and we kind of articulate it more focusing on the people mm. because the team eventually might steer pivot things yeah. you know through time which is important um and and understanding that these guys have the tenacity, they have the ethics. I I have a what I call the three E formula. <laughs> so ethics, energy, and experience. And it's very rare that somebody will will actually score three out of three. But as a minimum, you should be at two point five. So you should have the right experience, say, and the right ethics. But maybe you're. Uh, older and your you know your your energy is not the right energy or maybe you're a young guy with a lot of energy a lot of ethics but uh, you know your experience is 50 you don't know exactly but eventually you'll get it mm. so if you score 2.5 or more then you, you've kind of clear the, the at least the human part in my eyes yeah. everybody has his own formula of yeah. course yeah how do you measure the uh, ethics piece Look, I mean, ethics, and again, even if you don't score 100, I'll, I'll probably invest. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the most controversial yeah. of the E's. Yeah. Um, look, there is there, there are thieves, mm. and they score zero, so you're yeah. not going to invest there. But there are people that are super right, you know, they'll, they'll, make, they'll, they'll go a long way to make sure that your rights are preserved as an investor and so on, and... And these were scored one, and you know they'll, they'll report on time, accurate, everything. Yeah. But there are people who will be in the middle, and they they will follow their interest without being necessarily unethical. But they put it. their interest first. Yeah, so yeah. these are the people in the middle. Yeah. And if they have the experience and um, energy. energy, 
but you know you t- try to basically manage that piece i'm happy to <laughs> to follow yeah. them and <laughs> yeah but it it is the most controversial uh, of the three i mean yeah and in terms of uh, you know you said that a lot of investments are there's this kind of hunch mm. you get how do you think about building a sustainable long-term firm at Cedar Bridge where a lot of these uh, investment approaches happen at your level where you have a hunch mm. and how do you translate down that down to the team to build something look it's uh, it's a hunch but it's a debate and the team will always come out to be um, to make the right decision as a mm-hmm. team uh, invariably I would say anybody who just make one by himself the decision will end up worse off mm. than a team making a decision mm. and then you need the right team dynamics and the right balance and the right time and enough time to debate stuff so it's always a team decision at that. Mm. Uh, mm. and if if I'm overruled I'm, if my hunch is overruled it's overruled and okay. it happened okay and how do you how do you foster that culture of everyone being open to debate being ready to push against the founder around you know his or her thoughts yeah the the, the onus is on me to make sure that uh, I'm, as a founder that mm. i don't uh, alienate people or so you know speak your mind you have to push it you know you have to yeah. tell people speak your mind tell me why you know uh, anytime we invest in a business or you know we appoint a ceo if we own the business or I tell them always push back. You know, I I give you the license to push back and uh, you know debate it. And I, I my duty is to give you the time to debate it. Mm. And we can debate it for hours, and then we, one of us will get convinced. So you have to foster that. That you have to consciously foster that. Uh, that uh, because automatically people will say. Oh, He's the boss. He's uh, yeah. the senior managing director. Don't don't touch him. You know, I yeah. don't. You know, my bonus is here or there. You know, <laughs> especially in the Arab world, and you know, let's call it more Eastern Hemisphere type uh, cultures. This idea of pushing back against your yeah, yeah, management back. team and, is. Uh, we're a very relaxed culture, though. Mm. So we, you know, we're always relaxed. We involve everybody. We engage everybody. Everybody mm. can see any information you know we're not we're not holding the cards yeah. close to our chest yeah. uh, all this helps people to know uh, you know if somebody asks me you know well i'm not uh, doing this or that I'll go the, the financial statements are there look at them and see if you can get the bonus or you know get the raise or raise the staff uh, salary or whatever it is you know mm. so mm. and uh, obviously you've in- invested in uh, several companies, several entrepreneurs. I'd love to kind of get your insights from uh, investments that went sour, what you learned about what to look for in entrepreneurs. Yeah. Things that went sour. Um, look, what what we look at entrepreneurs is, uh, let me start with that. It is a um, the tenacity. Okay, they, they, they have to have the perseverance, the tenacity to really push because it is a long and uh, bumpy, you know, journey. Um, you know, there'll be, I mean, we have now several situations in Egypt where, you know, because of the currency, it's a hiccup. 
Mm. They were doing extremely well last yeah. year, and then boom, big bump on the road. You know, so you have to pull through. And luckily, we have invested in few of those entrepreneurs that you said, you know what, I'm gonna ride it through. You know, it's uh, it's gonna be. I'm gonna do layoffs. I'm gonna do this or that, but I'm gonna ride it through and get out better and stronger. And uh, and that's that's an important piece of the character. <coughs> uh, so that that's one. Uh, we, you know, it's a, it's a multi-dimension. I mean, character is multi-dimensional. Yeah. You know, yeah. again, going back to the three E's. Mm. You know, that, that, does he have, you know, the energy? You know, does he wake up uh, at six and run? Yeah. <laughs> you know, or he wakes up at ten. Then that's a red flag. You yeah. know, uh, you know, does he have the the does he treat people well because we're we're part of his ecosystem, but not us also as employees, as suppliers, as clients. Or he he doesn't treat people well, so mm. it's a lot of things you look at. I don't think I, I haven't got the formula, honestly. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that <clears throat> you you kind of brushed on your co-founder, mm. uh, so I'd love to hear your thoughts around having a co-founder versus not having a co-founder. Both kind of, I guess, first at Cedar Bridge, mm. the impact of having a co-founder. And then the businesses you've invested in, where there's a solo entrepreneur versus multiple co-founders. Yeah. Look, um, the co-founder, you know, in this long journey, and yeah. as you hit bumps and, you know, you have uh, issues and you need to make decisions, having somebody on the table who has the same stakes mm. as you, and he's not just employed, you know, it's... Uh, Allows you to discuss things and make decisions as a, as a team much much better, but it's a marriage. You know, not every marriage will yeah. work, and not every character has the same chemistry. And so you have to pick the right person. And uh, you know, chances are you're not gonna pick the right person. But, you know, as we know, like in marriages. But uh, it's it's uh, if you if you're lucky and you pick the right uh, person uh, to go with you through the journey i think it's a much lighter burden mm. because you know when 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 you're not getting the funding and you know your uh, cash run is uh, runaway is uh, you know two months yeah <laughs> you're thinking of paying you know the salaries at the end of the month at least there is somebody who shares that pain and yeah. you can sit and talk about Misery it. Misery likes company. <laughs> <laughs> Other than, you know, going, talking to yourself, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a lighter journey. Mm. And you have to remember that eventually when, when, when you are prosperous and you're a unicorn and, you know, you're, you're cashing out a billion dollars, you have to remember that that person Okay, was there besides you and you, you might be the you know the bigger shareholder or whatever but you have to remember that you know he was part of the formula mm, not mm. not forget it you know once you're a superstar you know who are you you know yeah, yeah 100% <laughs> so and so so i think there's a part which is finding the right co-founder mm. but then you mentioned that rightfully so along the way things happen in business and so what kind of set up structure things you've done that you found effective to continue to nurture and maintain a strong co-founder relationship um look i learned it honestly it's mm. something i learned through the cedar bridge journey mm. because that was the first time i had a really long-term co-founder mm. so i learned later the 
benefit of having a co-founder. And now a lot of times um, uh, people ask me, you know, like my co-founder is not doing this and I'm doing that and he's not doing it. Look, I mean, you have to look at the whole package. It's it's never a very precise formula of who is contributing what because sometimes one plus one equals three and you remove the one, you end up with one. So, yeah. And actually, that's that's a lesson that uh, I learned from Hassan. So <laughs> Hassan Jawad, he told me, you know, you know, I mean, the president of the U.S. makes, I, I think, $400,000, but yeah. he decides the world. And of course, his... his uh, contribution is much more than $400,000. Mm. So you cannot measure things just like, uh, you know, pro rata to your contribution. It's mm. uh, You have to, to look at it in a different way. Mm. When you're a leader, you, you just have to feed everybody and, you know, feel satisfied with a, a, a proportionally lower part of the of the cake. Mm. Uh, don't try to measure it if you're, if you're a true real leader. Yeah. You alluded to some of these, but I'd love to hear uh, stories along the way, building the company, Cedar Bridge, uh, you know, stories that are, or a story that's memorable around <coughs> when you hit a pretty significant roadblock and how you navigated it. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, um, in many instances, um, you know, the, 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 something that comes to memory is uh, when uh, COVID happened. Yeah. So uh, at that time, we had limited exposure to tech. So mm. We were launching our uh, tech uh, fund. So we had only one investment in tech from the, the, the existing two funds. But the rest of our businesses were all, you know, client-facing. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. most of them were client-facing. And suddenly, and they're in the UK, they are in Cyprus, they're in Egypt, they're in Saudi, they're here. And suddenly, you know, out of, you know, if if you even, you know, try to dream of that risk in your information yeah. memorandum, yeah. you to, couldn't. To, 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 to put it on the <laughs> list and then to put a sign of probability to it, or, yeah. So, uh, you know, suddenly, you know, the UK shut da- shuts down and then uh, UAE shuts down end of March and then Cyprus. And uh, luckily in Egypt, we had a chain of labs. So that worked. <laughs> but initially in the first uh, month in uh, March, April 2020, it, it shut down as well. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, emergency everywhere. Nobody is allowed to go out, curfews and so on. <laughs> and, you know, I had, okay, so what what shall we do? You know, it was mid-March and, you know, you just have to shift your mind into a different gear. This is not going to go away. Yeah. And instead of, you know, thinking of growth and plans and, you know, hiring and where to open next and ta-ta-ta, you're thinking, you know, shut down everything, yeah. minimize cost, fire as many people as yeah. you can, yeah. put them on lower yeah. salaries, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And you have to sit with every team and convince them of your vision. Mm. And remember, you're doing this again, suddenly over team for the or Zoom at that yeah. time. And, you know, you have to convince everybody. So mm. we put a cash flow um, meeting for every company every week. And mm. you cannot buy a pen anywhere mm. without our personal permission, me, Magellan, or Mo, my other uh, partner, and so on. So we have to decide on every purchase. And then we went through, I think, 10, 15 points of cutting cost and uh, 
talking to landlords, talking to suppliers, ta ta ta, you know, the whole story. But it was a nerve wracking, you know, probably two, three months mm. where, you, you know, you, you, you're faced with like Armageddon, you yeah. know, Armageddon yeah. Uh, yeah. day. And, um, and how do you manage your own psychology during? Honestly, like that. I, I learned meditation. Okay. <laughs> you learned meditation during this period. So, you know, uh, every day I'll be like uh, drained. End of the, honestly, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, you're just facing so many issues, cash flows, people mm. shouting because they also have their yeah, issues, right? Their, you know, personal or suppliers or, and, you know, end of the day, you're drained by, you know, the, the, the magnitude of the problem. And then I forgot how I, somebody told me i think uh, another uh, one of my friends told me you know try meditation yeah. and i started meditating every morning amazing. and every evening and it's uh, amazing it's, it's i stayed with it till now yes. so I, I guess i'd love to also understand a bit more what you've learned about founder investor relationships how to manage those for entrepreneurs what you've seen work what you've seen that doesn't work yeah look it's uh first the investor has to learn how to to invest i mean and how to work with other people as an investor um there is always is you know i'll be self-critical yeah for the investor community let's say there is always a assumption that we know more mm. because we have the money, you know, and you're, you're coming to the table and, you know, we, we've seen so many and, uh, you know, we're the kings of the universe, you know, yeah. and that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> because, yes, you know a little bit here and there and you've seen more, but the day-to-day -day small decisions taken by the founders and their closeness to the problems and the markets and the people and so on make them no more and they have to deal with balancing act between everything cash people markets small requests here and there and so on and so you know so you know you don't know more you know, and uh, when you want to give advice and uh, tell the founder and uh, the board or, you know, do this, do that, be cognizant that you don't know more. Yeah, <laughs> okay? yeah. And I, I, I feel that uh, in, in most cases, we, we as investors uh, feel that, you know, we have a superior access to knowledge and experience. Mm. Uh, and in, in most cases, that's wrong. It's, mm. I don't think that that's misplaced. Having said that, I think... Uh, in terms maybe of strategy, in terms of, uh, you know, mentoring the founder more as a mentor, uh, this is where we should put more effort uh, mm -hmm. and talking to him, you know, he's, he's, he's holding all the startup, trying to push everything. I mean, yeah. you've been through that journey, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, to take off. So you need to help him psychologically mm -hmm. too. And, and that's... I think where we need to place more effort and help him in, in that area rather than tell him, you know, do this, go to here, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. why is the wall black, not, uh, not red, you know, yeah. uh, people like red, you know, yeah. you don't know these things, let him do his stuff and yeah. uh, judge at the outcome end of mm -hmm. the week, end of the month and end of the year. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think it's, you know, a learning experience of, uh, 
of what to how to handle the relationship some people do it better than others some people are totally silent which is also bad and some people are totally vocal you know mm. they they want to jump in the seat of the founder ceo and run the the ship yeah. and that's also totally wrong you need to to have basically know what you know and know what you don't know and where you should interfere and where you should not interfere uh that's from the investment side mm. I think on 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 the sharehold, you know, on on the founders or you know the, the side, they have to understand that eventually they need to make money for this investor. Mm. It's for their own interest, for a healthy relationship. You know, I rarely find somebody coming saying, you know, we're gonna start here, and I want you to make this return. And I'm gonna make this return, and this is the right balance. Always, it's one way. You know, they look at it in one way, and this is, I think, another reason why. You know, there is a bit uh, sometimes of a confrontation. You know, mm. everybody pulling the the cover to his side. So yeah, yeah. And what have you learned, kind of along the way, around? If, if I'm an entrepreneur, I'm trying to manage my board. I'm mm. trying to uh, make sure the there's the right level of debate, but it's not tension. What would you advise an entrepreneur on how to approach it? Look, get people who are engaged, mm. but not overly engaged. Yeah. And with the right experience. And, uh, and how do you measure the engaged versus not overly engaged before they get on the board? <laughs> yeah, I mean, overly engaged is when somebody starts texting you, texting you or calling you every week, every yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. Why this? I was in the, you know, listening to this guy. He told me that you are, uh, your service is shit. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, that's over engagement, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. you engage is making sure that you, again, following that, you know, more mentoring approach. Once you invested and things are working, you know, plus or minus as expected. Use the time to mentor the, the person. Sit with them for lunch, you know. Uh, are you okay? Are, are, are you overworking? Is your personal life okay? Mm. <laughs> you know, you know. Uh, this is where we can add value because maybe we're older and more experienced. We've seen the cycle, you know. Uh, is your funding fine? You know, your runway is too short. Uh, uh, you know, you need to think of your uh, co-founder, you know, don't treat him like things of that sort. Yeah. I think that feedback, okay, is uh, is more beneficial than trying to pick on why did you do this why you didn't you know we shouldn't be selling uh, you know i've seen so many of these mistakes where the board starts saying sell to x don't sell to y or Mm. address the segment not that segment and then we do the shift or the pivot and then it's wrong yeah 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 (laughs) and um yeah and how do you so outside of just the investor entrepreneur relationship what are some things you learned about how to be an effective mentor and how to approach mentorship? So, you know, for example, for me in my business, mm. if I want to mentor people who are coming up through the ranks. Uh, it has to be frequent, not ad hoc. So uh, if I'm mentoring somebody, it's every month on Monday at 11, we meet, you know, spent an hour, casual, it should be something you look forward to, uh, something where you eventually build the trust relationship, grow that trust relationship, you open up, you can discuss things, and you keep this, um, you know, some somehow a secret. I mean, you, you, 
you don't use it against the the matter. It's the, it's a difficult one because one day you're talking about things that might work against you as an investor. Yeah. So you need to make find sure the balance. That, yeah, find the balance. And you know, it would be uh, a shortcoming for me if we don't talk today about what you would advice you'd be giving entrepreneurs especially in the tech space uh, in this kind of economic environment i mean to a large extent the economic environment hasn't really hit the middle east yet or may not depending on your your views but a lot of entrepreneurs myself included uh, have have been used to uh, an environment where fundraising was much more abundance of uh, capital abundance of capital uh, and so now that dynamic has shifted and so if i talk about myself my co-founders you know we joke that we're now being forced to learn how to run a real business because you know cash is king and it was something that we didn't have to think about and so for us it's a mind shift change Luckily, I had spent time at GE and I had seen uh, on the finance side. So I had seen, you know, good times and tough times. So mm. uh, things like a PL, a balance sheet mean mm. things to me. But many entrepreneurs haven't, right? And mm. so making that shift, uh, what can you share in terms of advice, knowledge beyond the simple kind of the headlines, preserve cash, yeah. control cost? Look, I mean, these cycles where there is an abundance of cash um, have been there before. And, you know, history is a good uh, tutor. Uh, In the late 90s, when telecoms were, you know, sold at huge multiples, and eventually that party ended. (laughs) And now telecoms are running for EBITDA and cash flow. And, you know, so we have to realize that, you know, all these cycles tend to end and eventually everything is run as a business and that eventually you need to produce profit and you need to stop the burn and you need to see that and people can understand that it's an investment of one two three years but at one point you're gonna be a real business and you have to grow as a real business that's profitable to get more funding and so on so forth so one of our best investment is uh, in Fresha. I don't know if you're familiar with Fresha. So we were one of the early investors mm-hmm. in 2015. And last month when I was sitting with the founder, he's talking about break even. You know, mm-hmm. he's been burning cash for f- six, seven years now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 2024 is break even point where he starts moving into profitability. So mm-hmm. everybody has to focus on that you know, inflection point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not going to continue. I mean, it's whatever it is, if it's the next wave is biotech or whatever it is, or uh, genomics or whatever it is, it's it's going to be a boom and then eventually it will calm down. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's. I think it's the end of the party and, mm-hmm. um, you know, we just have to be realistic what to expect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for founders or for entrepreneurs who, who eventually at some point have their own investors and they're trying to think of a liquidity event, I'd love to kind of hear about your thoughts around the different options 
So whether it's a public market, mm-hmm. whether it's strategic, whether it's a private equity, I'd love to kind of hear your from your experience. What are the you know the, uh, across the options? How do we how do we think about pros cons? Again, being realistic, yeah. I think most options will be mergers and acquisitions, uh, where you merge, you uh, get acquired. The public markets are difficult. Mm. Saudi is opening a window, UAE not yet. Egypt has theoretically a window which was never tested really in, in a big way. So the public markets are difficult, even in the West, you know, they are, they are difficult. So 90% of exits are around mergers and acquisitions. And that's probably where people should focus. It's a bit, uh, you know, giving up your baby to somebody else who you are competing with. It's not the nice, it's not necessarily, you know, the best uh, outcome that you're looking for. Yeah. But you have to be realistic that, you know, funding is not as available as before. Even if there is some now, it's being very discerning who to give it to and who not to give it to. And then these funds need to show returns and they were going to have a hard time to raise fund two, three and so on. So it's going to be a, a, a probably a, a very difficult environment for the next few years. So, yeah. And do you see that impacting the region as, as yeah. well? Yeah. yeah, I mean, except Saudi Arabia mm. from um, where we sit, I mean most of the region saudi a little bit uae but you go to egypt now that you know suddenly the winds have shifted whereas egypt was a main destination for uh, a lot of vcs where there is a lot of opportunity and there are a lot of opportunity a lot of good entrepreneurs a lot of vibrant you know uh, ecosystem i think that has shifted and uh, probably the same will happen in other parts as well mm-hmm. Before we started recording, we were talking about your time in Lebanon uh, and mm-hmm. how you, you know, Lebanon was going through a boom when you went and worked there for 10 years. And to a large extent, you learned that it was a short-lived, uh, <laughs> short-lived, short-lived uh, boom. But across your career in, in the region, you've seen many cycles of boom and bust on, an, on a macroeconomic level in different countries. I mean, the example you gave in Egypt now, the Arab Spring as well, then your prior experience in Lebanon. So I guess if, <clears throat> if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm trying to think about how do I navigate these types of risks over an extended period, I mean, what have you learned about navigating unexpected macroeconomic environments that unfortunately, do have a tend to pop up in the Middle East. Yeah. You need to keep maintain a lot of flexibility. You know, how you, for example, you look at your overheads. Yeah. You know, people start building 200, 300 people overhead, and then suddenly they need to shift. You need to make sure that, you know, it's better maybe to contract what you can contract out because this relationship can be, you know, the agreement can be in 30 days just uh, terminated whereas employment is a bit more sticky. So you need to think of flexibility. But overall, you know, there are, of course, big shifts up and down. And uh, but it's when you look over the long term, it is a, a, a wealthy region that has paid back investors, even Egypt. We've been investing in Egypt for good 15, 17 years ups and downs, ups and downs. But overall, I haven't lost 
any money in Egypt. My average IRR in Egypt is in the 30%, mm. despite everything. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen devaluation in 2016. I've seen, you know, revolution 1.0, 2.0, devaluation 2016, 20, the beginning of the year, and then later now. And still, you know, we're, we're optimistic about Egypt. Uh, you, you need to navigate, and that's a skill set probably if you're sitting in London, you don't need to worry about, or maybe nowadays you do. <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, something you, you, you can, can, can master eventually. Uh, but, you know, I look long term, you can make substantial amount of money, whether you're an entrepreneur or an investor or a business owner or whatever. You can make good money in this uh, region. And you look at Egypt, I mean, you know, so many wealthy people came out of Egypt um, because they're smart. You know, so many startups uh, came out of Egypt, despite everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Imad, I heard you say a couple of things today on the show. I heard you say, you know, when you invest, you have to believe in your thoughts. Uh, I like this idea of the three E's, ethics, energy, experience. And three is a magical number, but... Two and a half is, is good enough. Um, this idea of leaders feed everybody a part of the cake, I, I really like. Um, this idea about being intentional, mm. about mentorship, methodical, systematic. Uh, and the last thing I'm really taking away is, you know, be an optimist in the long term, but be flexible mm. uh, in the short term. And so... I've learned a lot from talking to you uh, today and uh, I'm really grateful for you sharing your time and, and your thoughts. Thanks for hosting me, Tarek.